0: Welcome to the Evaluating Biopharma podcast, where we meet with the top experts in the field to deconstruct challenges and opportunities that they've each experienced in order to provide you, the listener, with real-world practical advice and knowledge to help in your own work and to see things just a little bit differently. I'm your host, Ben Lockwin, and it's my pleasure to sit down for a chat today with Dr. Ness Musa, biopharma industry expert and scientist extraordinaire. Hello, Ness. Great to have you here.
1: Thank you, Ben. Nice to see you after many years.
0: Agreed. I couldn't agree more. Would you please uh, start off by walking our listeners through some of your very impressive and extensive background?
1: Of course. Thank you, Ben. Uh, First, thank you for inviting me to your podcast. It's a pleasure to talk to you and uh, share with you my experiences. So my background, uh, Ben, for this podcast comes from my past years of experience in gene therapy and uh, generally biologics development work, as well as commercialization. So I worked on multiple uh, programs uh, back from my Lonza days and BMS and Momenta, as well as my latest uh, ultrogenics experience, taking products from phase zero, early phase, pre-FIH, first in human, all the way to the commercial stage. So we have been uh, very lucky to work to have worked on multiple rare and ultra rare disease uh, products. and that gave us an um, insight and exposure to some of the eminent opportunities as well as, as well as challenges.
0: I love that. Thank you. And I think w- what we're we're going to cover today, uh, we'll get a, a real chance to dig into a lot of your expertise. And, you know, a lot of what you've done within the industry, but also for the industry to help move things forward, because, you know, frankly, you've been uh, a critical cog in where the industry currently is and how it's evolved over uh, the last couple decades. And so our, our chat today will be focused and centered on CMC challenges for CDMO and sponsor relationships for rare disease medicinal platforms. And kind of having put that tent post in the ground uh, as we go along our journey here, the first question I wanna start with is, when you think about it and all the deep experience you have, what are the resident challenges with securing successful CDMO sponsor relationships for a rare disease manufacturing and testing paradigm?
1: Thank you, Ben. A very elegant question, Ben. Uh, so I think the key word uh, here is rare and ultra rare disease, uh, Ben. I think, as you know, uh, companies expand and con- uh, the, the the construct and expand based on their on their uh, demands and needs, supply demands and needs. For a rare disease company had the opportunity to supply. Uh, drugs to communities that doesn't have any supply at all. But the need is very limited and the need is very dedicated to a small patient group. So a rare disease company does not have the facility, not all the time, to have an internal manufacturing capacity, which means then has to engage with the right CDMO to support the supply requirements for this drug. This means at the rare disease company, you may not have your internal capacity, manufacturing capacity. You may not have your internal internal testing capacity. Therefore, having the right CDMO relationship to support your needs when you need them, as well as to continue to advance your supply requirements as years go along, is very critical. Some of the elements, I would say, Ben, uh, that impacts this relationship is the complexity of advanced medicine. So when you are talking about gene and cell therapy, which are termed advanced medicines, you don't have so many CDMOs to choose from, but any CDMO is capable of supporting the supply needs. So you need to identify a a amenable CDMO partner, which means that the CDMO is flexible enough to go outside the norm Every CDMO may have a platform uh, manufacturing process, may have a platform approach for a biologics, but when it comes to gene therapy, they may have to modify it for that specific need. And it's a rare disease, so there is no high demand. There is no campaign of batches. Yet, uh, the batches are very limited. Uh, the size may also be very limited. So the CDMO, the CDMO has to buy into the feasibility and the community contribution of this drug uh, platform, of this medicine, targeting the rare and ultra-rare patients is very important. So it has to be like collaboration hmm. and partnership, not necessarily a business relationship. That's one of the core elements. And that means you have to build in expertise within the CDMO. It's not just transferring technology, band. It is to have that willingness and flexibility to invest in the CDMO as a long-term partner. And as you would appreciate, Ben, you don't have a backup system for rare disease manufacturing or analytical testing. It's very limited because of the limited need. Therefore, that collaboration has to be on the hip and you have to support the CDMO and the CDMO has to support the sponsor at multiple levels with all available flexibility.
0: Mm. Yeah, that's very interesting. And for the listeners too, uh, You know, even the idea of rare disease and ultra-rare diseases themselves are uh, fluid terms. The Orphan Drug Act by FDA defines a rare disease as one that affects fewer than 200,000 people in the U.S. And I believe the World Health Organization calls a rare disease one that affects fewer than 65 per 100,000 people. So you know, there's, I guess, you know, if we talk about the regulatory bodies, um, you know, FDA versus MHRA versus EMA, PMDA, you know, et cetera, et cetera, globally, international regulatory agencies, uh, there are different hurdles, certainly, and, you know, also different um, different ways in which these are defined. And because the definitions can be different, I think that also influences Perceptions.
1: That's right, and you're absolutely right. And uh, uh, you, you mentioned a very critical element: the regulatory agencies, the global regulatory agencies, are navigating the area because now the need for the rare and ultra rare is there. Are some uh, or ultra rare diseases? Ben, there are only 200 patients globally. Mm. So just so that is at the when, when the lowest you could get them. That's ultra rare. So the regulations that applies to ultra rare diseases cannot necessarily be the same as for blockbuster. So there has to be certain accommodation and it's evolving. The regu- regulatory pathways are evolving. Acceleration is being allowed, especially if there is no available therapy, they do allow for orphan acceleration. So it is evolving, but it is not evolving fast enough. Uh, from both as from regulation, because you want to make sure that the safety, the safety elements of these drugs are uh, really uh, paramount, very safe and acceptable because of the history of gene therapy. But now we have come a long way. Our therapies are really, uh, you know, they are as safe as you can get them. Uh, there is still room to improve, of course, to ensure that the efficacy is also amicable. Uh, in addition to that is also the cost effectiveness ban. Uh, when you are manufacturing for uh, a rare, ultra-rare communities, the cost uh, has to be effective and affordable. The payer, the patient, the, the, the governments, global governments, not every uh, country is able uh, to pay for this uh, therapy, Ben, and that's why improved technologies, uh, platform technologies, all the way from the early phase, when I, what I call the during translation and phase zero pre-IND, having the right kind of technology that can travel all the way to the stage four, phase four, commercial. Without changes, that will reduce uh, the value proposition. The value will be, will be better value for the patient and for the payer down the line. That's why having the right CDMO, not having to shift CDMOs, And that's That's one of the challenges, Ben, is that because not having the right CDM early on, not because of non-existence, but also if you need capacity need, you move from one CDMO to another, and then you have to modify the process potentially. And that change also adds in terms of the dollar that you have to spend to do that, as well as the time it takes to get it to approval. So having the right one at the right size is critical for success in the CDMO-sponsor uh, relationship.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. So what are some of the, you know, patients want safe and efficacious drugs. And that's, you know, that's all of us. We're, we're all patients, or we have friends and family who are patients. Folks want to make sure, you know, that the the drugs are safe and effective, they're available, they're uh, affordable or somewhat affordable. And, you know, you, you explained... In a great way, how there's, you know, influence with global regulatory bodies. What do you think some of the key contributing factors are that may pose within the partnership between the sponsor and the CDMO uh, analytical and CMC challenges, which could lead to regulatory alignment, um, or and or protraction?
1: Thank you, Ben. This is a deep question so we'll cover uh, aspects of it i think uh, ben i think uh, you, you asked uh, the analytical and the cmc challenges in co- uh, in within the context of safety which is a key element of course safety and efficacy are the key elements uh, you know that they they are very important for a for a for smooth path to approval uh, so i think uh, ben Within the context of using a CDMO, and of course some companies are able to do it internally. Some very few companies are able to do it internally. But having the right CQA, the critical quality attributes, defined and determined early on, much earlier, will help reduce the challenges. And also having that the early interaction with uh, regulatory agents, the right regulatory agents, EMA, FDA, having the right uh, level of discussion, the right level of detail, and also patiently waiting and uh, gar- uh, uh, garnering feedback from these agencies with the internal, you're open internally to identify the, the right CQAs are very important. And having the buy-in of the regulatory agencies to the proposed CQAs, to the, pro- the proposed specifications, the proposed process parameters is very important because there are some key elements that you have to define. Not not all of them belong to the same category of uh, triple star or double star, but identifying the most important elements. For example, bias is a very important analytical challenge for any gene therapy, I would say for cell therapy too. Uh, Having that in place as early as possible, it it takes a lot of effort, uh, a lot of uh, scientific endeavor to get it right with gene therapy even more so than uh, protein-based therapeutics and having that negotiation alignment with with the ages is very important in addition all the impurities and you know uh, full capsid and empty capsid those levels they're very important to be discussed early on having a matrix if you are doing it with a cdmo to really have a collaborative matrix with the CDMO band to have to make sure that the internal team has a, a sweet team approach with the MSNT, regulatory quality manufacturing teams within the CDMO to define the CQA and to make sure that they can support the needs of these programs as the program progresses because the criticality and the the tightness of the specification increases or, you know, the demand is higher as you progress to later phases. So having that uh, understood and uh, agreed upon with the partner CDM, whether they are able to achieve your asks and demands, and the regulatory agencies are also in alignment with your proposed criteria is critical.
0: Mm-hmm. So yeah, there's a lot more complexity with these programs, as you pointed out, and. That needs to impinge upon this it necessarily impinges upon the sponsor CDMO relationship. So, how do small companies then uh, manage with the enhanced regulatory demands due to the nascent nature of these uh, particular therapeutic platforms?
1: That's a good question, Ben. Uh, again, a lot of the gene therapy companies, Ben, to your point, are small. They are not big. Mm-hmm. They may get acquired by big companies. But they, are, they are small and. Uh, uh, With increased demand, a lot of the delays that happens for approval pathway to approval is due to elements of lack of alignment with regulatory agencies or some, uh, I wouldn't call them missed opportunities. But when you are small, you're trying to cover a wide bandwidth of activities. And that's why having the right partnership CDMO to help navigate, these are the matrices that I need to cover. And these are the requirements by the agency. So to ensure that you are covering all spaces, all the needs, especially if you are going to change the process and if you are going to redevelop your uh, analytical methods, then you need to have the right kind of samples from early on, from your research stage or in you know, a pre-FIH stage to make sure you have good the comparability package intact, because that's what holds companies back not having the right uh, data to progress, to do comparability. And the solution would be, Ben, if possible, is to benefit from platforms. The CDM was have platforms that has worked for an approved uh, gene therapy entities in the past. Right. So to be able to use it, to use these platforms would definitely allow a, a, a very collegial and very uh, uh, affordable interaction with with the agency because they have seen it before and they they, are, they have accepted it. And using those kind of platforms with, in collaboration with CDMOs is a great way for small molecules to save money as well as
0: time. Mm-hmm. I love that. Um, it, it makes me think, you know, I know you're a mindset guy and... Faced with the challenges, the technical challenges, the the you know partnership and relationship requirements between the sponsor and CDMO, that interface and interaction with the regulatory agencies. What would you share with the listeners? As um, I don't know your your best takeaway for what sort of mindset is would best accommodate some of these challenges? Is there a way that you know when the going gets tough, you you uh, reframe your thinking? And, and you know you want to make sure you bring yourself you know back down to earth in a, in a way that's productive any uh any tips to share
1: oh, thank you Ben i think as as you know Ben i think uh, there is no challenge that is not solvable because you know we we have the capacity i think with the with with, with the positive intent and the, the the right level of hard work and uh, intellectual uh, collaboration there is no challenge that cannot be resolved. Having that uh, positive intent, having that collaborative intellectual capacity, and also treating the regulators uh, not policing as, but they are our partners to get the, the best drug to the cast to our pay, to our patients. That collaborative uh, spirit, as well as uh, appreciating the intellectual capacity of the regulatory agencies because they know a lot. They are not. They are exposed to not having that feedback, and also sharing with them uh, what is at stake if we delay by a month, a baby might not make it. So having having the true value proposition to everybody involved will garner, will bring them together as a team, will bring the team uh, together, and will progress the program to approval. I hope that answers your question. That was a big question that you asked.
0: Oh, absolutely. Yeah, intellectual. Collaboration and and positive intent, and I don't think that uh, I could have said it better myself. Um, do you have any parting thoughts for the listeners?
1: Well, I think this is uh, we are living at a time Ben where there are multiple uh, uh, cutting edge technologies uh, that's coming through, and that they're addressing areas in gene editing, CRISPR technology, are making things possible that were impossible. Like if you go back five years ago. So I think having this collaborative spirit and having the courage to go further, identify platforms to help patients is way to go. And this is the right time to do that.
0: Beautiful. Couldn't have said it better myself. Ness, I want to thank you for uh, being a friend and being here, having a chat with me today and sharing your knowledge and experience on a variety of all these topics. Thank you very much.
1: Ben, thank you for inviting me and look forward to working with you in the future. Appreciate it. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Please visit www.evaluatingbiopharma.com
0: to access the on-demand video and to download the summary article. You can also access the Evaluating Biopharma content archive,
1: sign up for our newsletter, and register to attend an upcoming Evaluating Biopharma virtual networking event. Feedback or suggestions? We'd love to hear from you.